One of them was named Agabus. And so this guy Agabus is going to pop up a couple times in the New Testament. But he's a prophet and he stood up and through the Spirit he predicted. That's one of the roles of the prophets we, as we see in the New Testament is to predict. Now we're, gonna, we're not talking about Scripture. We're talking about the Lord has given me a word for you and this is what it is and this will happen is kind of how, is how it's laid out in Scripture. And it says right here what he does. Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the ent- entire Roman world. And what does it say? This happened. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, what happened? Each according to what they had, they gave. And we talked about that, correct? Now, if you go back to 1 Corinthians and you check out... Uh, if you go back to 1 Corinthians and you check out uh, chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, you're going to actually see the parameters, the three parameters that Paul puts on prophets. So we're back over. We're in chapter 14 and verse 3. It says, But everyone who prophesies, what do they do? They speak to men for their strengthening, their encouragement and comfort. That is the purpose, that is the role, the confines of prophecy within the church is to speak these things, to strengthen the church, to edify the church, or encourage, stir up, I might say. Stir up is, is kind of how it works. That word is uh, paracletus, which is kind of like the Holy Spirit, to come alongside, to prompt, to... Uh, you know, well, encourage is kind of the word they translate encourage or exhort. And to comfort. We know what comfort is, right? And he says, so, so when prophets speak, these things are happening. Whenever, when they prophesy, they speak to men for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And then verse 4 says, he who speaks in a tongue does not edify himself. I mean, edifies himself because no one else can understand it. But he who prophesies, what does he do? He edifies the church. And that is the goal and the gift of prophecy is edifying the church, to edify the church. And so that is extremely important. We have that example of Agabus there in chapter 11, verse 27, and he gets up and says, this thing is going to happen and people are going to be hurting. And his heart is not to bring attention and glory to himself, but there's going to be pain in the church. We've got to do something about it. To strengthen, to encourage, to edify the church in Jerusalem. He was operating within his gift. Now, how many does this seem totally foreign to you? Raise your hands. This is not my background, Matt. Totally. Me neither. Ready? <laughs> we did <laughs> Listen. We got to go to what Scripture says about everything, and if it's foreign to us, we need to get on its page, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And there are godly people all over the place who kind of disagree on these things, so it's okay to have some disagreement. Amen. We don't have division, but I'm just teaching what is here. We see examples from the Scripture, and I might pull a personal example, but uh, this is where you need to go from. But Agabus, right there, he had something that was not known. People did not know it. It was going to happen. And yet God revealed that to him. And the Spirit showed him by faith, and he used it to comfort the body. Forth, uh, this is foretelling. He's kind of telling a little bit in the future. 
Again, if you, if you flip over to Acts 21.10, we see uh, him doing some, the same type of thing here with, with Paul. So you flack, uh, flip right to Acts 21.10. This is Bible drills today, I tell you. <clears throat> this is at the end of Paul's ministry. Acts 21.10. It says, leaving the next day, I'm reading from verse 8. We reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of seven, and he had four unmarried daughters who were prophes- who prophesied. Uh-oh, what's going on? Women prophesy. Get out of the way. But you can't prophesy without a veil, according to Paul. So, <laughs> uh, verse eight says, "Leaving." Uh, I'm sorry, verse ten. And after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Comes back down again, right? He's on a circuit or something. And coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and with all his feet in it, and said, "The Holy Spirit says." Uh oh, the Holy Spirit says. You hear anybody said, "God told me," "God says." Pretty interesting stuff. <coughs> That's what he's doing, okay? And it, he said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will, will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Go right, or go oh, move forward and go to verse 33. And what does it say? This is Paul in Jerusalem. It says, the commander came up and arrested Paul, that's him, and ordered him to be bound with two, what? Two chains. What happened? Paul was bound just the way the guy said it. He was preparing, the Holy Spirit was preparing Paul for what would happen. It's comforting him, warning him, letting him know. We can, we'll get to there when we get there. So there's that forth-telling aspect of prophecy. It is supernatural. I don't understand how it all works. <clears throat> Personal example. I've shared this with before. I was in a prayer meeting. We were hanging out. Uh, the worship team, I've told, shared this with you before, was at this church. I did not have a worship leader. They were, just, they were trying to figure out what in the world, how do we move forward, what's going on. And after they had decided to have two people go ahead and, and lead for a while, the keyboard player leans over to me after we got done praying. She says, you're going to be the next praise and worship leader. And I was like, no, I'm not. But, you know, verse 38 happened to me, and I was a praise and worship leader a short time later. God had worked all those things out. Naturally, supernaturally, wasn't weird. There wasn't weird stuff, but the Lord had put upon her heart something to share with me. And it was true, and it was for the edifying the body. It was for the encouragement for the body, for God to me, for me to be in that position. That's how it worked. Like, just, I was just giving you a natural example of how that worked. Okay? Fourth telling. Now, we're going to get into testing and all that stuff. Don't worry, okay? For all of you going, oh gosh, where is he going? Are we going off the cliff? Don't worry. So back to Acts. This is the example he gives us in chapter 13. This is foretelling, basically saying, hey, what God would have us to do. And this is chapter 13. It says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers and really quickly, notice who is with the prophets? Teachers. Think prophets might need some teachers next to them? Yeah, I love John Piper points that out in one of his messages. He's like, yeah, probably the, the bookends there. We got Saul, Barnabas and Saul kind of herding the cats there. You know, edifying one another, checking balances, keep it biblical. Is this in the word? What's going on? You know? So anyways... 
uh, it says Barnabas, he was one of these people. I, we see that he's already been teaching, so we assume he's one of the teachers. We know Paul's a teacher. And there's these other guys, Simon called Niger, which means black, and so he was probably a black guy. They just called him black. He was from Africa. They didn't have all that stuff going on. They just cared about Jew and Gentile back then. And Lucius of Cyrene and Menea, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and he just had been brought up in the royal house. And this is Herod. This is a different Herod from last week. This is Herod, the guy who was who beheaded James and was resided over Jesus's trial. And while they were worshiping and fasting, the Lord said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called him." Now, how do you suppose the Lord spoke? And the Lord said, it doesn't say. But the context we see all throughout Scripture is that God is working through the prophets to direct the church. God doesn't give us, should we move out of this building, should we not? Should we stay in this building, should we go? Should I buy that car, should I not? Should I go down the street, should I not? Should, you know, I mean, there are so many details that God gives us in Scripture, but where Scripture is silent, you know, what do we do? We seek the Lord and try to find out his heart and what goes on. And how does God reveal the direction we should go? I believe he does it through the body. And it's going to be tested by the word. Amen? Amen. If it gets wacky and weird, huh? no. If we see something that's directly contradicting the word, if we see things that pull us away from the Lord instead of closer to the Lord, we run away. Amen? But there might be something the Lord lays on your heart for someone else. And God might have very well given you that gift of prophecy to speak to, to foretell or foretell. And we have to, I, I think, embrace what God has given us in Scripture. And I know this is different and this is foreign. This is like me teaching a different language. But we've got to conform to what Scriptures say and not what Matt says. And so I want to I develop this a little bit further, okay? And so this is the example of foretelling, just saying what should happen. Hey, God says set apart these two for the work of the ministry. Now notice the context in which this, the God is speaking. What are they doing? Are they watching TV? Right? All those things? What's going on? Okay, cool. They're worshiping, fasting, and praying. What is that word worship? How many of you have the word worship in your Bible? How many of you have another word in your Bible? Chris is Christine. Oh, no. Okay, good. Good. What does it say? Yeah, like had laid hands on. No, oh, that's a little bit later. They minister to the Lord, right? So the word worship and minister to the Lord is interchangeable because the word right there is liturgy, which is where we get the word what? Liturgy, which is what? Worship. It's kind of like the whole shebang. This is a uh, worship service. Worship is not limited to singing. Amen? It is a life. And it was as they were going about their lives, doing what God had called them to do, as they were focused on ministering to whom? The Lord. As they were praising the Lord, as they were seeking the Lord, as they were fasting, as they were praying, as they were using their gifts to minister to Him, to bless the Lord, God started speaking as they were blessing each other. Jesus said that if you give someone a cup in my name, what do you do? Who are you actually doing it to? 
Yeah, so when we minister to each other, we're ministering to the Lord. So as they were ministering, the heart was set on the Lord. God began to speak. And what did he say through the prophet, so to speak? He said, separate from me, Paul and Bartus, for the work of the ministry. Now, it makes sense that the prophets would kick out the teachers, but I'm just, I'm just joking around. But there they were. That's what we want to do is, is, is pray and seek the Lord together as a church and see what he would say to us. And there's going to be times coming up here as a fellowship when we're going to need to hear from the Lord. And God gives us examples in Scripture of how the Lord speaks as we get together. And it's happened in this church before. We didn't even know it. Amen? How was I supposed to come up here? How, do, how was someone supposed to do things? You know what I mean? It's happened supernaturally, naturally already among you. And I, not to identify it, to lift that up, but God is at work. How does he speak? How do you know what to do? You have to make a decision. How do you, how do you come to those decisions? You struggle, you pray, you seek God, and you come to a consensus, and someone says, I think the Lord is saying we should, Boom. And notice the context. It's worship. It's the word. It's prayer. It's good. For the edification for the body, for the encouragement, for the strengthening. Amen? Now that's what's going on here. That's what's going on. But it's really hard when someone says, I think the Lord is saying to me, or God said. How many times have we had that abused? By the way, I got a word from the Lord, everybody. Did you know God said you're supposed to write a check today? Come on now. Right? And so what do we do? Oh, goodness. We roll our eyes, don't we? Because of the abuse of it. Do you think the enemy would want to have you instantly have a knee-jerk reaction to prophecy so that you throw everything out? Flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's right of 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. I'm getting them better this week. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Who's there and who likes to read? Carol, would you start in verse 19 and read 19 and just read verse uh, 19 and 20. Right. So what does he say? Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not what? Do not despise prophecies. And what is our knee-jerk reaction? To despise it. To cast it apart as something that is not a part of what we do. Oh, gosh, you know, no, I don't want to have that in my life. Don't want to have that, be around that. That's, that's charismatic. No, that's a blood-bought gift that Jesus Christ gave to his church, and I bet some of you might even operate in that way. And we need it. Praise the Lord. Amen? Now, how many of you are kind of scared about that? Anybody? Raise your hand. Totally. And so, what has God also placed in the church? Teachers, elders, Shepherds to go, ha, 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 no. Or, okay, maybe. 
But what does it say? Carol, you read that verse. It says, don't quench the spirit. Verse 20 was what? Don't despise prophecy. Verse 21. Carol, read it loudly. Oh, test everything, hold on to the good. Paul says, and and he says, we prophesy in part. And he's talking about, this stuff is, is child's play compared to when the Lord comes, we'll see everything in full. But we prophesy in part. It's not gonna be totally clear. It's not gonna be as if we're in heaven. He says, test all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 puts some heavy parameters on prophecy. It says if you're going to prophesy, three may do it at the most three. And when you speak, you know, do it in turn. And he, so he puts some parameters on there. Puts some pretty heavy parameters on tongues too. But he says do not stop people from speaking in tongues. Do not stop people from prophesying because I think people were burnt out. And it's easier just to throw it away than to say, okay, God, we need discernment. We need to find out what it is you're saying and what you're not saying. And you're going to see time after time after time again when Paul is going through places and the Spirit said, and the Spirit said, and the Spirit said, and the Spirit said. How did he speak? A, I'm sure he spoke a lot through the Word as they were reading the prophets. B, but I'm, I'm thinking they were speaking through prophets within the church, a gift for the church. And so I'm not saying we're going to have a prophet's convention next week. I'm just saying that we want, to, we want to go to this, don't we? What it says and not what I've been brought up with. There are a lot of things that I was raised with and my ideas about the Lord that I'm going, well, that's not what it says. That's not what the Lord said. That's not how he operates. That's not what that verse means. And I'm sure there'll be many more to come. Anyone else had those situations? And so let's do that. And, and, and this is what I also want to flip to you. First, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians, you're standing there, 14, chap, verse 1. Anyone else want to read? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Go for it, Norma. What does this say again? That's rad. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And uh, just to bookend it, what is the last verse in, the last two verses in chapter 14? It says, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So, eagerly desire the gifts. And he says, eagerly desire prophecy above all because it edifies the church. Strange. Isn't it foreign to how we've come a, come a part of things? But that's the clear teaching of the New Testament. Now, I believe some things are, are uh, you know, there's room to discuss of how you go about that stuff. And I'm not sitting here saying you've got to prophesy. I'm just saying, when someone says, you know, hey, I think the Lord might be sharing this. Don't despise it right away, but listen and test. How do we test? A, the word of God. We go, is that contradict scripture that I know of? Be a Berean. Get into the word. Get some counsel from some people who hear the, hear the word of, who, who, who know the word. 
Secondly, I mean, just go to verses like that. And, and what does it say in John? What is it? First John 4, somewhere around there. First John 4, yeah, for, four one, the whole, actually the whole chapter, but he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Amen? And he talks about uh, God, because many false province, prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you could recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. And so he's saying, what, if, if it's drawing you closer to the Lord, it's, it's of God. If it's, if it's pushing you away from the Lord, it, it's, it's not of the, of the Lord. And, and this is kind of the, verse 5 is kind of how he really lays it down. It says, hey, they're from the world and they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. If someone comes up to you and starts telling you things in the world, and that's why I have trouble with a lot of these pastors and preachers who are out there and talking about money and kingdom building and all this weird stuff. That is a worldly perspective. That is a worldly perspective. You hardly ever talk about the apostles talking about, hey, you know, send me your funds because I want to have a better car. You've seen my van of shame. But I mean, <laughs> it's good. I mean, you know, no, I, I love that Grace Mobile, but I'm just saying that it is. It's. It's, it's awesome. But you see them for the edification of the church. When they're stirring people up, it's because God has a work to do, and the work doesn't evolve around Matt. The work is what God is doing through the church. That's you. Oh, and let Matt be here to edify you and build you up and equip you for the work of the ministry. And when there are opportunities that the Lord raises up, within your life, let that, that flowing of whatever it is, resources of prayer, of finances, of everything you can think of, be directed to the move of God within the church. Amen? Amen. More of you. More of you guys. You are the salt and light. And the way we have church in our culture is it, it's quite often a spectator sport. It's somehow you've come here to be entertained. no. You've come here to be equipped. You are the team. I'm in a coach. I'm an encourager. And gosh, I need to be coached all the time. Thankful I have a board of elders around me. Amen? You're it. So lean into it. I'm kind of going off there, but that was... But he said, worship, they were worshiping the Lord. They were ministering to him, verse 2. Yeah, verse 2, great. <laughs> and, they were, and they were fasting. And... John Piper, in one of his messages, said, uh, you know, fasting is the exclamation point on prayer. It's kind of like the hunger that I have in my stomach is the, is, the, is the hunger that I have for you. God, I want to hear from you. I want to, I want, I need you. Hungering and thirsting. And God says, you will, you will be filled, and he does speak. And so, so after they had fasted and prayed, and notice what they did. They were fasting and praying, the Lord spoke, and what did they do? They fasted and prayed some more, right? Let's make sure this is of the Lord. Let's test it. Let's seek and pray. And then they laid hands on them and sent them away. And so now Paul's first missionary journey happens. Be praying for the elders. We're going to get together this Saturday. We're going to have a time of getting together and seeking the Lord, ministering to the Lord praying about our church in the direction and where we're going, will you be praying for us this Saturday? Would you be praying so that we have like an Antioch moment here coming up where the Lord says, hey, 
These are some things that I want to do. And notice he speaks to the leadership, but was it the leadership's great idea? Whose idea was it to send Paul away? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, set apart. The Holy Spirit said, send. The Holy Spirit called. It's the Lord's idea. And as we were seeking, we kind of got the Lord's idea, right? And that's what we want to have, the Lord's idea. What is he saying? He already has a plan. He already has a plan for this church, a plan for you. And it just, Lord, what is it? I'm here. Your servant is listening and setting apart that time and that heart for him, directed to him. Amen? And so it says, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Notice who sent them. You have the guys in verse 3, but then you have the Holy Spirit in verse 4. It was really the Holy Spirit who sent them. They went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Could you flip to that one map I have? And uh, the big one first. I mean, the one that shows everything. That is the, uh, what's going on. for the, Some of you have this in the back of your Bible. Uh, the ones that are in the pews don't have it. But this is kind of a map of the first missionary journey of Paul. And so you see that on the right and the bottom, there's Antioch. And so they went down to Seleucia, and now they're going to go over to Salamis. They're on the island of Cyprus on the bottom. And then they're going to go to Paphos. And unfortunately, Matt will not be able to tell you how far they get today. And so they go all the way up and around and come back around. So that's kind of the, the, the missionary journey. You can flip to the next one. So it's a little higher so they can see. <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of where we are today. And so that's, that's what's going on. It says, The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia, and they sailed it from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And John was, there, was with them as their helper. This is John Mark, Barnabas' nephew. And by the way, Barnabas was from Cyprus, and so they're kind of going to visit relatives here, I'd seem it, as an excuse on the missionary journey, right? Verse 6, And they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And Paphos is a really interesting city. That's where uh, Venus, they worship Venus, the god of sexual desire, was there. And so it's a really dark city. And it says they named a man, uh, they, sorry, they, uh, sorry, verse 6.5. And there they met a, a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet. Notice the scriptures are identifying between false prophets and regular prophets. They're comparing, contrasting, right? This is a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. What do you, what do you know? Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. Jesus was a common name that says Joshua. Is, is Jesus' name kind of there? So it's, it was a common name in the day, but it's the son of Jesus, who is an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus, and the proconsul is a Roman ruler there. The proconsul is an intelligent man. Sent, he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Amen. This guy is wanting to hear the word of God. Unfortunately, we have a but in verse 8. But Elimus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means. He couldn't bear to call him Bar-Jesus. You know, you're not son of Jesus. You're Elimus. Sounds like you are. He's a sorcerer, for that's what his name means. He opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And that is what false prophets do. They oppose 
the ministers of God, and they try to turn people from the faith. That is what they do. They oppose the work of God, and they try to turn people from the faith. And they do it in very subtle ways, in very seductive ways, and be on their watch. And it can be very spiritual. A couple examples. I uh, went to meet with a, a family this weekend, and uh, right before I got there, uh, some people had shown up 30 minutes earlier, knocking on their door, asking them about you know the Watchtower Bible Track Society. Jehovah's Witnesses were at the door, right? 30 minutes right before I was there. What do you think the odds of that are? 100%. 100% because God did a great work. But there's always opposition. You've noticed my van with my wonderful window, which has been just a joy in my life. The last... For, it started around a month ago. The, the little plastic piece that you put the vent on broke. And, that's, and it caused the window to slide down and then it was just fell off. And so I did take it and, yep, and I plastic it up. And I go, great, this is progressing wonderfully. <laughs> Went down to the dealership, ordered the part. They said three days. Two weeks later, they did not have the part. It doesn't exist anymore or something in their world. Anybody ever had that? Here I am with this van being told by certain people where I live, you can't park it in certain places. I'm like, oh, this is really just fun. And so I eBay it and get it in three days and put it on last last Monday, just this past Monday. And I was excited. And then God really kind of convicted me on on Tuesday, well, on Wednesday, just to really start praying for you guys individually and and for the church, you know, I just felt like I'd been slacking off in that, and it's something I really need to do. And as I started praying, it just like, man, the Lord just gave me some really cool things. It's kind of like kicking the enemy in the teeth, and I won't go into details with you all, but it was really powerful. And I knew God was doing something in the spiritual realm for you. And, um, and so a bunch of kids decided they wanted to come to youth group that night. Youth group drop them off, go go home, park my car in the dirt lot, walk home, come out the next morning, and my car was broken in two. And you know how they broke in? <laughs> out of all the opportunities they had, that stupid latch, they, <laughs> they broke it, and the window slid down. And they got in, <laughs> and there I was. And so I am, I was walking out the car going, I can't wait to pray again for this church. What are the odds? And I know people go, you know, whatever. No, that's the enemy opposing me, praying for you, opposing the just wanting to discourage me. And I was discouraged there sitting there looking at that thing going, I'm going to have to like mold this thing again out of plastic and heat it and like somehow, you know, just like, how is this going to work? Or I will just like resolve myself to have a plastic window. But that's not going to happen. You know, so anyways, this, this stuff is happening, and it's warfare. And it comes in various forms in various ways in our lives. The enemy wants to discourage you from going to church. The, the enemy wants to discourage you from giving that up or, or from going across the street or proclaiming. I mean, how many ways? He wants to oppose you. And we've seen it over and over and over again. When the Word of God starts to go forward, when spiritual things start to happen, the enemy goes, No. 
I'm not going to let them do it. And he jumps in, he sends some political guy, or he sends, he creates something, some division within the church. Or you know, we saw that there was there was physical, uh, you know, uh, persecution, and now there's this religious persecution, or, or you know, some false prophet comes up and tries to quell what God wants to do through them. God had, did he, God not call them? Did he not separate them out? Has God not called you? Has God not bought you with his blood and pulled you out of the world for a reason and a purpose? Yes, he has. And when hard things come into our life, when oppositions and these things come in, recognize that there is, there's an enemy out there. There's an enemy who wants to derail you and to keep you from having joy and to give in to the flesh and to, you know, be discouraged and to go, no, this is not, I can't do it anymore. That's the enemy. The Lord wants to come and say, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, hard times are coming. Yeah, there's going to be many scars along the way. But look at my son. It was hard. It was difficult. He sweat great drops of blood, but there's victory. This world is not worth it. He is our glory. He is our hope. And we look to Jesus and we gain our faith again. We stay on track. He is it. And so put our eyes back on Jesus, not on the the, uh, bar Jesuses of the world. Amen? And he meant to oppose them. And then verse 9, we're going to close here real quickly. And then Saul, who is also called Paul. Um, Now, people have a question. Saul, this is where they call him Paul from now on because his Jewish name is Saul. And he's now ministered to Gentiles and they call him Paul. They don't relate, but they sound the same. Saul was named after King Saul. Paul means little one. He was named little one because he was little. And so they just called him like they see him, like they called that guy black because he was black. I mean, it's very simple stuff going on back then. So they called him little, Paul. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looks straight at Elimus. He says, you're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? And now the hand of the Lord is against you and you are going to be blind and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Oh, how we need to sometimes speak to the enemy and the opposition of the Lord when we are filled with the Spirit in that way. Sometimes it just needs to be black and white. Get lost. Sometimes we spend so much time trying to finagle and trying to you know, appease people who are just flat out opposed to the gospel. And, you know, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, he just says these things, and he, there are a bunch of gifts are at work here. And he says, you're going to be blind. And immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Someone said uh, what was in his heart actually came out physically in his life. He was spiritually blind, and now he became physically blind. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Again, the victory that the Lord has. There's that opposition, and then the Lord by His Spirit overcomes, and then people believe that pattern in the church. So the gospel going forward in your life, do you have opposition today? Do you need to hear from the Lord? Do you need to hear a word from Him, so to speak? God, what do I do? Where do I go? And I'm reading your word, and I know all the you know things, but God, I make it connect with my heart. And that's really 
what we desire, and that's what edifies that prophecy, so to speak. It could be speaking the word of God at a, a fit verse, at a fit time to a person that it just connects. You've read that a hundred times before, but it's like, boom. Wow, and I need it. And it edifies me, and it makes me stronger, and it gives me hope for the trial ahead or whatever's going on, or it directs me. And so, Lord, speak to your church, amen? Speak to your church. Use the body. We need each other, friends. We need each other. I need you. We need each other. We need the giftings that God has given you. And how does it happen? I was talking to the church on Wednesday night. We're going to end right now. We're in overtime. This is how it's going to happen. As you stay tight with Jesus, as you love Jesus, as you are abiding in the vine, the Holy Spirit will place things upon your heart and you will naturally, whatever that gifting is that God has given you, desire to meet that need in that other person's life through the gifting that God has given you. For me, I'm going to want to bring them to the Word and teach them, give them tools how to do it. That's naturally how I'm going to go. I see it. I see what's going on. I'm going, oh man, I want to encourage them. They're having trouble. What do I do? Ah, bring them to the Word. Teach them. Show them these things. It might be mercy for you. Just coming alongside and putting an arm around them going, oh man, you, you blew it. Yeah, totally, but God is so good. And you just sit there with them and you encourage them through your gifting that God has given you. You see what I'm saying? It comes out differently. And the key is you stay with Jesus. We pray earnestly for these things, not so that, yay, this is who I am, and look at me, and so that you will be blessed. You will be blessed. God, the prayer of the church is, God, give me the ability today, give me something today that I may encourage your people, that I may bless them, I build them up, that they may be lifted out of the darkness, they may be put, the light may be put in their path, and they be just focused on your glory and your goodness here in the now, amen? Amen. So let's pray for that. Lord God, we lift up this to you. We ask that you would lead this congregation, these people, to your throne of grace daily. And I pray that as we look at each other, as we see each other, that we would receive and give the gifts of grace that you have blood-bought and given to us for your glory, for our encouragement, for our edification, for our growth. And I pray that nothing would stop that here. I pray that we would not despise what you have gifted us with. And I pray that we would grow in our wisdom in this. And we would surrender more and more as a church, not to uh, a system, not to, a, um, not to the way a denomination does things, but just to your spirit and your word. And let that be our guide. And I pray for you to speak to us as we lead this church forward. As we, as we are servant leaders, as we worship and minister to you, God, lead us in our lives, in all these decisions that need to have. We need wisdom from your throne, not from television, not from Dr. So-and-so, but from you. Give it, Lord, and use your body to do it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.